Now let's turn to God's Word, to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 10. And if you're using the Pew Bible, you will find that on page 1137. Romans chapter 10, I'm going to read from verse 5, but we're going to look at verses 14 and 15. Romans 10, verse 5, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then these words, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, uh, if you are a visitor here, we've been looking through uh, the book of Romans, and I don't intend to summarize the first 10 chapters But basically, Paul has been talking about what the good news is and how you become a Christian. He's in the middle of answering uh, a question of why so many of the Jewish people in his day did not believe. And he's again explaining what the, the gospel is. And one of the things that's clear from the Bible that's mentioned is that a very simple promise, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's exactly what verse 13 has said. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can't call on the name of the Lord and the Lord say, no, I don't think I want you. That's not how it works. But Paul now then goes on to ask the question, what does that mean? What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? And he asks four questions here, and I've thrown in a few others as well uh, as we were were going on. But don't worry, it's... um, it won't, I hope, take too long. I saw a, a kind of spoof article this uh, week from Babylon B, which had the headline, Reform Minister Announces End of 47 Years Series on Romans. So we're not going to do the 47 years, but um, I think these are, these are just great questions. We're going to look first of all verse, at verse 14 um, on salvation being preached. How can people call on the one they have not believed in? Very interesting, the way it's phrased. How, he starts with this question. How can they call on the one they've not believed in? You are not going to call on somebody you don't believe in. You can't, you're not going to ask someone to help you if you don't believe in them. Uh, your plumbing's broken. You're not going to call a plumber who you think can't fix it. You're not well. You're not going to go to a doctor who you think can't help you. So the first priority there, we are to call on the Lord, 
But we have to, first of all, believe. We need to know and believe his name. We need to know who he is. We need to know what he has done. Just having faith in general isn't enough. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And so the second question he asks, but how can they believe without hearing? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? You can't believe in a person you've never heard of. Go back to the, the, um, the plumber. You don't call a plumber you've never heard of, and you don't go to a doctor that you have never heard of. You can't believe in a person you have never heard of. And so he asks a question which implies that we need to hear about Jesus. But what is really interesting here is that he uses language and uses a grammar. They believe in one of whom they have not heard is one way of doing it. But it's really believe in one who they do not hear. How can we believe if God doesn't speak to us? That's the great demand for evidence that people keep having. And the answer is God does speak to us. He doesn't normally speak to us through a dream and a vision. He doesn't come with flashes of lightning. You don't have your own personal voice inside you. Jesus speaks to us through the proclamation and the preaching of his word. We're making really quite an astounding statement here. We're saying that when God's word is preached, God is speaking, and he is speaking to all of us directly. Preaching is proclaiming the word of Christ so that people hear Christ speak to them. And that's why he asks, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, I want to take just a little sidetrack and uh, just, well, it's not a sidetrack, it's actually of the essence of this, and to ask, what is preaching? Um, some of you of a certain generation, not very old um, uh, and not very young, Papa, don't preach. Uh, preaching, don't preach at me. Preaching is considered to be a bad thing. Uh, somebody might say to me, are you going to preach at me? And I'll go, yes, sir, I'm going to preach to you. Um, well, no, you don't preach at me. What does that mean? We have this idea of preaching as kind of yelling at people and telling them what to do, which is a bit of a shame because that's not what it is. Preaching is, is what I'm doing just now, and there are an awful lot of people who will say, oh, uh, you know, you can't do that in today's age. I, I remember, um, I'll give you two instances from here, from St. Peter's. Man came in once after I had buried his mother, and he came in, two rows of people, all the family came, and afterwards I met him at the door, and he said, you did that deliberately, didn't you? I said, what do you mean? He says, just because we don't come to church. When you saw us there, you gave us a whole year's worth in one go. And I, I said, no, no. I says, that's not how it works. Honestly, I said, I, I normally do preach for that length of time. I've never heard anyone speak so much. And I looked at him and said, well, how did you, how did you cope with it? Oh, he says, I thought it was brilliant. Didn't again there was that much in the Bible. I said, that's only one chapter. I've got hundreds more. <laughs> Will you be back? No. <laughs> You know, but I mean, I kept in touch with him and everything. But I thought it was really interesting, you know. And, and he did. He listened to absolutely everything. Or um, another time, someone came in, and afterwards they came out, and they said, "I am not used to hearing someone speak in a church for more than ten minutes." You can't do that now. You see, in church, you're not supposed to be able to do that. 
And yet here's a fascinating thing. I read a survey of 10 churches that were growing in this country, and every single one, the number one reason identified by the people who went was because of the preaching, which is fascinating. Because what is preaching? Preaching is God speaking to us. Now, someone will say, well, we don't need that now because we can read. But the Jews read the scriptures every Sabbath, and they still didn't grasp and didn't understand them. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading from Isaiah, and Philip comes beside him. What are you reading? Reading this from Isaiah 53. Well, don't you understand? How can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? And you know, I think sometimes we have this idea, if people have just got the Bible and they just read the Bible themselves, they'll be all right. Well, no, not really. The Bible needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be taught. And that's why God gave us uh, preachers and teachers How can I understand them, says the Ethiopian eunuch, unless someone should guide me? The other thing about preaching is this. It's public. There's something about the gathering of God's people that makes it very, very different. There is an an ethos. There is an atmosphere. There is something that is different to hear. I mean, you can hear preaching, I guess, by listening to it on the internet. But here's the problem with both reading and listening to preaching on the internet. You've got the off button. Here, you don't have an off button. I mean, I guess you can get up and walk out, and that has happened, but you don't have an off button. But when you're, you're listening to it on your, your phone or whatever, you can switch it off. You can be looking at other stuff. Um, when you're reading, you can do exactly the same. You're, watch, you're reading on a computer. You can click the computer. You can scroll. You know, it's very interesting. Virtually nobody reads books on the computer or even articles, although they say they do, but All the research shows that most people skim read when they read on a screen. And I would argue that that's the same. I think we, when you're hearing God's Word preached, you, you can't switch it off. You can't just ignore it. You can try to sleep if you want. Some of you sleep without trying, but if you, if you try, it, it, you tend not to do so. And also, you're kind of stuck. My uh, now brother-in-law wasn't my brother-in-law when my sister was baptized, and I baptized her up in Ross Keene Free Church, and it was a church that had pews, and because he worked with her, he came along, and he sat in the pew, uh, and there were people on either side of him, people behind him, and people in front of him, and uh, he told me this later. He was so annoyed at what I was saying that he wanted to get up and walk out, but he couldn't because there were pews. And he couldn't jump over people and was stuck. He had to listen to it. And he was converted. And then the next time I was in that church, I was marrying them after the service. You know, that, that there's something about being gathered with God's people and listening to God's Word that makes an enormous difference. We need, you see, we need God's Word to be applied. We need to be exhorted. And we need to recognize this is not just an academic study. It's not just a lecture. It is the reading and especially the preaching of God's Word. I would argue this. It's great to read, and it's great to read books, and uh, great to read the Bible. But I would say this, that reading other books on the Bible is really a supplement to the preaching. Again, the value of this, sometimes Christians, as Christians, we don't even appreciate this. We think of going to church as being kind of our duty, Uh, as something that we do. And um, I was reading Chrysostom, who uh, 
said this to his own people. He says, what's the point of you coming to church if it doesn't make any difference to you? And he uses an illustration of uh, wool being dyed, and he says the wool gets put into the, the dyer, but if it doesn't come out with any purple dye, it's useless. And you coming to church, he said to his congregation, is pointless if you're, if you're not being changed through it. And I remember uh, a lady up in Brora coming out one time, and she'd just been converted. She was converted on the Sunday. She became a Christian on the Sunday, and on the Thursday, she was at the prayer meeting. And I said to her, what are you doing at the prayer meeting? She says, do you think I could go a whole week without hearing the Word of God? Well, that's an attitude that we should have. This is the Word of God. You don't come to church just to fulfill your duty. You don't come to church to meet your friends. You don't come to church because, well, it's the sort of thing you can, you know, you're a student and from Northern Ireland, and you can, when your mum phones in the evening, you can say you were at church. Uh, no, you don't do that either. You do it because you want to hear God's Word. And what he uses here is this idea of a preacher as a herald. There are two different words that are used for preaching in this chapter. One is, is a more general, well, I guess what they would call gossiping the gospel, but the other is this idea of a herald. That in those days, if you wanted to hear public news, you would go to the market square and the herald would read out the proclamation. And that's what is happening when God's Word is being preached, that this is God speaking to us through His Word, using the preacher to do that. Now, I want to, because he's saying, you know, everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved, you need to hear God's Word, what about those who don't hear? Because that's a a question that arises, and I want to consider that just for a little bit. Because you could logically think this way. You could say, well, if people are condemned because they reject the gospel, if they never hear the gospel, then they won't reject it, and therefore they won't be condemned. So in actual fact, we're not doing anyone a favor when we tell them the gospel. We just keep quiet. But of course, that goes against everything that the New Testament teaches and that Jesus teaches. Jesus put it very simply in John chapter 3. He said, he who does not believe is is condemned already. Here's the thing. People are not condemned because they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are condemned because they live lives which are contrary to what God intends. People are sinful. Without hearing, the gospel is not like some kind of test. The gospel comes to people not who are neutral, but who are already condemned. So, what about those who have never heard? Everyone's already condemned, so God sends His Son to save people, and He sends the preachers to tell about His Son. Well, let me cite um, my favorite Frenchman, and I apologize to all the other French people here. Uh, My favorite dead Frenchman, let's put it that way. Uh, I'll not say who my favorite live one is, but John Calvin says this, it's not for us to imagine a God according to what we may fancy. We have to have a right knowledge of Him, such as is set forth in His Word. When anyone forms an idea of God as good according to his own understanding, that's useless, says Calvin. I'm paraphrasing a wee bit. But it's, it's uncertain imagination. Therefore, it's necessary to have the word that we may have a right knowledge of God. And that word, says Calvin, what he mentions here, commenting on this passage, is nothing but that which is preached, because it's the ordinary way which the Lord has appointed for conveying his word. 
Were some to say, says Calvin, that God cannot transfer to men the knowledge of himself except by the instrumentality of preaching, we deny that the apostle is saying this, for he had in view only the ordinary ways of God and did not intend to prescribe a law for the distribution of his grace. Now, what he's saying is this. He's saying this is what God normally does, but if there are people who do not hear, it's not impossible that God could speak to them in different ways. And let me follow that up with uh, what Lloyd-Jones says on this. Show me a man who is dying, he says, and who's never heard the gospel. You say that man is going to hell. I say you cannot say that. He may not. Well, how, you say? He has never heard the preaching of the gospel. I agree with you. But what is there to stop the Almighty God from illuminating the man's mind and giving him a revelation of Christ and the gospel even in the last agony of death? Do you tell me that God cannot do that? I believe he can. He can do that to a heathen who has never heard the gospel. Now, you have to be very careful here. Do not assume that because that is the case, and there is no doubt at all that that is the case. God can do that. But do not assume that that is what always happens. That is something extraordinary. It's something that is quite remarkable. But it's why, for me as a minister... I've taken many, many funerals. I would never be able to say at the funeral, that person went to hell, because I don't know. I can say of the believer, that person went to heaven. I can't say of the unbeliever that they went to heaven. I don't know that. But I can't say they went to hell, because I don't know what happened in their life. And God is able to do extraordinary things. I mean, I once went up to Nine Wells Hospital. I've been asked uh, to visit a lady who was dying, and I went in, and the nurse said, there's no point, because um, she's in a coma, we've got no brain activity, really, and be dead by the morning, all signs of consciousness and everything are all gone. I said, well, maybe I'll just go in and sit and maybe pray anyway. And I went in, and I came, I read the 23rd Psalm, and I prayed. Um, No response at all. Uh, on any of the monitors or anything, and I went away just very, very saddened by the whole thing. So I get a phone call the next day from the hospital saying, can you come back in? So I went back in, and there was the lady sitting up, and she said to me, you're the man who came in here last night. Now, medically speaking, they would have said she had no consciousness at all, and yet she recognized my voice. I don't think she recognized me, but she recognized my voice, and uh, she lived for another three years. She heard the gospel. I don't know what happened to her, but we don't know. And I think that is, um, that is very important to grasp that. But that does not take away from the fact that the normal means of people hearing the gospel and being converted is through preaching. It's not a means, it is the normal means. It's the usual method. By the way, uh, I can give you another example from Scripture of somebody who didn't really hear preaching, um, and that would be Saul. How was he converted? Through Jesus meeting him on the road to Damascus. Now, you could argue that he'd heard preaching before through Stephen when Stephen died, perhaps, but uh, he came to a knowledge of Christ through that extraordinary vision or appearance of Jesus to him. But the Damascus Road experience is not normal. 
And it's not how most of us become Christians. Hearing comes by the Word of God. And so Paul goes on then to say that the, he cites the Isaiah verse about having beautiful feet, those who bring good news. So we're going to look at that. We're going to sing, though, um, before we do look at that, uh, in case you thought this was a very short sermon, that was just point one. You've got point twos and three to come. So I thought I'd give you a wee break, and we're going to sing uh, a song that uh, I think is a beautiful song. How beautiful their feet who stand on Zion's hills, who bring salvation on their tongues, and words of peace reveal it. Um, I think this is Isaac Watts, actually, but let Stand and sing it. I'm sure you'll know the tune as we start as well. How beautiful their feet. So let's look at verse 15. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? That's the fourth question. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? How can they preach unless they are sent? Again, Calvin, it is enough for us to bear this only in mind, that the gospel does not fall like rain from the clouds, but is brought by the hands of men, wherever it is sent from above. Preachers have to be sent. Jesus was sent. Luke uh, 18, 19, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, again quoting Isaiah, because he has sent me. Jesus sent out the apostles. As he was sent, so the apostles were sent. In Romans itself, Paul is deeply conscious of being sent. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Or in verse 5, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Or if we were to go over into chapter 11, I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul, the word he or for sent here is apostello, and it's, it's this word from which we get apostles. It's used for the apostles, the 12 disciples plus Paul, and it's also used for, we might call them missionaries, special messengers of God that were, were sent out. The point of what Paul is saying here is they weren't self-appointed. He says about his own calling, Acts 26 verse 16, now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So the apostles were sent out by Jesus. Um, Sinclair in the evenings, and he will this evening as well, has been looking at that particular commission that they had. But there are, the church also sends out, Jesus sends out through the church. So Barnabas and, and Paul were set apart by the church. Now, there's a mistake that's sometimes made here, and that's to say that every believer is a preacher. No, that's not true. Not all members of the church are preachers. There are some who are called to be heralds in this particular way. And we, we must never uh, negate that or decry that. How does that happen? It's my hope and prayer that there will be someone here who is called to that task because what Scotland desperately needs 
And what the world desperately needs is more heralds of the gospel who are called by God through the church. We've got loads and loads of self-appointed apostles and prophets. In fact, um, I now refuse to accept any Facebook friend requests that somebody says, I'm apostle so-and-so, and and I'm apostle so-and-so. You're not my friend anymore. Well, you weren't my friend anyway. I have no idea who you are. But calling yourself an apostle, no, sorry. But there's loads of that, and that's how lots of the cults and everything stand. How, How are preachers called? I do think there's a personal call, a recognition of gifts that uh, occurs as well. I think there's something internal for many people, but there's something external as well, the church recognizing the gifts. Sometimes the church can be so apostate that it doesn't recognize the gifts. Sometimes the person can be totally uh, um, opposed to that. You know the story of John Knox. He basically had to be forced at gunpoint to preach. Um, because he just didn't want to. I think he knew a great deal of the cost that was involved as well. But I think there can be a personal call as well. Um, Forgive me just sharing with you personally. My my own experience was that uh, I thought I was destined to be something else. Prime Minister, actually. Uh, That's that's, honestly... (laughs) I was always grandiose, you know, so... I was working towards that, and then I, I lost this election. I was a bit discouraged about it. And uh, I was sitting in a church up in the uh, Ballantour, up in Easter Ross, and there was a verse that came to me, Acts 5, verse 20, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. And that didn't happen to me. And I thought, oh, is this God calling me to be a preacher? I thought, no, it can't be. I don't want to be. I don't want to be a preacher. I'm going to be prime minister or something. Uh, I really don't want to, to be a preacher. And then I went down to uh, Edinburgh, and I, I used to share a flat with David Meredith, but then he got married, and he didn't want me to share the flat with him anymore. Uh, I don't understand why. Um, and I went to the flat next door, or he went to the flat next door with his wife. Anyway, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with one or two things personally about what I should be doing in my life. It's my last year at university. And this note comes through the door at midnight, and it was from, well, really, Nina Meredith who said to David, I wish David, that's me, would go in for the ministry, is how they put it. So he just wrote me a note. Dear Dave, I think you should go in for the ministry. Get on with it. Love, Dave. And I, just, so I waited for him to come. I sat and waited almost all night for him to come and explain that note, and he didn't. I was so upset. And then I thought, I've got four questions about this. I've got four reasons. I'm going to go to four different people and um, ask them. And if they answer all my four objections, maybe, maybe that's what I'll do. Long story short, I ended up going in front of the training of the ministry committee of the free church. And I was doing fine. I was sailing through until one of the old men asked me, and what makes you think you're called to the highest calling there is? And I said, I don't think it's the highest calling that there is, and I don't know that I am called. Well, that was me in for another hour <laughs> uh, because I wanted to explain that my father being a farm laborer was a high calling. And I also wanted to say, I didn't know. It was up to the church. I didn't tell them about the verse I got because that was for me. They had no way to. And it's up to the church to call. Well, that was for me personally. Different people have different experiences. But I do think the call of the church is really important. And I do think it's important, really important, to be part of a church. Why? If you're a preacher. Because 
you can start off well and then you can end up teaching false doctrine. And if you've got your own ministry, well, seriously, if you ever see something that says David Robertson Ministries, just take me out and shoot me or do something to stop it. Because if you've got your own ministry, you're not really accountable. But in the church, you are accountable. If I taught something here that was heretical and wrong, the elders have every right, and they should, to report me to the presbytery and you know, deal with me, because we want to teach what's according to God's Word. So, I like Lloyd Jones's tests on this. He says, a preacher is someone who has an unusual concern about the glory of God. I think he's reflecting his own experience on this as well. A burden about the souls of men and women, a sense of constraint, and a willingness to sacrifice. Christ sends heralds, says Paul. Heralds preach, people hear, hearers believe, and then believers call on the Lord. If people are not commissioned to preach the gospel, there will be no gospel preaching. Sinners will not hear Christ's voice or His message, and unless they hear, they won't believe the truths about Him. And unless they hear, they won't be saved. So a preacher is not someone who stands several feet above contradiction, not someone who loves the sound of their own voice, but someone who loves the glory of God and loves people and wants people to hear about Jesus. Let me also say in that that Christians need to hear the gospel. Some of you here belong to a tradition. Remember, you'd have the breaking of bread in the morning or the fellowship in the morning and the gospel service in the evening. And often you would think the gospel service, well, that's not for me because I'm a Christian. If you are a Christian and you think you don't need to hear the gospel, you're struggling because the gospel is what we continually need to hear. We need to hear the gospel as well. I've been a Christian for over 40 years. I still need to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. How beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The quote from Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good tidings, who publishes peace, who brings good tidings of good, who publishes salvation. What is this gospel we're talking about? It is good news. Now, in many churches, Orthodox churches, you'd think that's not the case. I don't think it's taught as good news. This is good news. And it's good news about Jesus. See, this is so important to get this right. You do not or should not preach Christianity. Never. You preach Jesus Christ. And I do want to quote from Lloyd-Jones, because I, I, when I read this, I, was, I highlighted it, I underlined it, I memorized it, actually, because I, was, I, I believe with all my heart this is true of the church in Scotland today and in the United Kingdom overall. He says this, I believe that the state of the church is to be explained by one thing only, and that is that the message of the gospel is not being preached and has not been preached for a number of years. I believe that the people have been more or less driven out of the churches by false gospels and by false preaching. And that is why it is so important that we must be clear concerning the true gospel. Now, of course, 
as in Lloyd-Jones' day. There are exceptions today. I hope this church is an exception. There are other exceptions in this city. But I will guarantee, I am absolutely certain, the majority of churches in Dundee today, this time, this morning, the gospel will not be preached. That's heartbreaking. And I think that's true for the church across Scotland. There are many churches where the gospel is being preached. It doesn't matter the denomination. That's, I'm not making a denominational point. But the gospel is not being preached. And let me go even a little bit further. I think there are free churches where the gospel is not being preached. Orthodox, yes, in many ways. But the good news is not being preached. And that's why people are not being saved. So let me go just a little bit deeper and say what this is. What do we mean by the gospel? Use these words, people will nod and agree or disagree or whatever, but what do we mean? Let me say what the good news is not. It's not a message about morality and ethics. It's not just answering people's questions. It's not political and social programs. It's not just about imitating Christ. It's not just philosophy. None of those things work, and the reason they don't work is simply this, because the message then comes to you who are listening do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. And that is what Paul has been arguing against the whole time. Ironically, people who would condemn the kind of gospel message that we preach here and other churches preach as well will say, oh, it's very legalistic and it's very harsh. And then they stand up and preach something which is cruelty to people because it asks them to do things that they cannot do. You know, I was thinking about an illustration for this. Um, and I do think that, by the way, this preaching becomes all about me and what I can and cannot do. And I'm, I, I'll try this one for you. The children's marches. Have you heard about these? Children who strike from school. Now, I, I have a lot of sympathy with them. I led a strike at school one time. I'll tell you about that another day. But um, Let's put it this way. It wasn't backed by the head teacher because I got belted for it, but um, none of these children will get belted for, for this because the papers and the politicians and the first minister of Scotland and say, isn't it wonderful what these children are doing? Well, it's great for children to be politically active, but what a burden to lay on children that you can save the world. Think about that. They are going to be disillusioned. They are going to be embittered. They can't save the world. Adults can't save the world. But that's what so much preaching is. You can do this. You can stop racism. You can do that. You can do this. You can do... And the answer is, no, you can't. You can't. Not that you give up, but it goes far, far deeper. I just think that's an enormous burden to lay on people. This is what the good news is. It's good news for the poor. Why do we begin there? I think that's where the Bible begins. Mark 12, 37. What does it say about Jesus? The common people heard him gladly. Religious people didn't. Political leaders didn't. But the common people heard him gladly. John the Baptist sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? What was one of the criteria? Jesus says, tell him that the poor have the good news preached to them. It's one of the criteria of the Messiah. The Greek philosophers could not care two hoots about the poor. You know what they would do? They're the kind of people who'd say, well, we have to go to Edinburgh because we don't want to go to Scumdee because it's full of poor people. Or they're the kind of people who would say things like, what can you do for junkies and drug addicts? And, you know, we're going to the educated. And the Greeks called poor people barbarians. But what does the New Testament do? What does Jesus do? 
Paul says to the Corinthians, God has chosen the weak, the foolish, the despised things of this world. It is good news for the poor. And what is that good news? God has come. God has redeemed his people. This is so important to get. get. The gospel is not primarily a call for us to do something. It's a declaration of what God has done. Galatians 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, if we had time, we'd go through the whole of Romans again, because that's all that Paul has been saying. He's saying we are saved by faith alone, not by our works. What, it, what we call justification, we're saying we can't do it. We can't atone for our sin. We can't save ourselves, never mind the world. But Jesus has. In the words of the song we often sing, Jesus paid it all. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message of being in Christ. You believer and you're in Christ. You have the life of the Spirit, and that's what Romans 8 has been all about, the, what we might call or what we do call sanctification, being made like Jesus, being holy. We are no longer the slaves of sin. We're not under the dominion of sin. We are not under the dominion of Satan. We have the hope of glory. Again, that's Romans 8. This idea that, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So the, the gospel is good news. It's going to the poor, and it's going to all of us who recognize our spiritual poverty and being told, Jesus died for you. Jesus forgives you. Jesus heals you. Jesus cleanses you. Jesus keeps you. Jesus saves. That's the gospel. And we distort that every time. We distort it every time we change that gospel. And Lloyd-Jones is absolutely correct. People can be in churches and be really, really nice and be preaching a message that says, be really nice to each other. And it all sounds so sweet, and it all sounds so lovely, and it's just not the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not good news for the sinner. It's not good news for the poor. It's not good news for you or good news for me. But this gospel, this is such astonishing news that if you hear it and grasp it, you're going, no, no, that can't be right. just can't be right. It's too much. No way. You mean I can be forgiven? You mean all that I've done and said in the past? That can be gone? That I don't have to turn all religious and do all this and do that and do that? No. It's something that is much, much more justified, sanctified, glorified. Jesus. It's about Christ. And that's why you go to a church, and I've seen this done in Orthodox churches as well. You go to a church and you think, do you know this? I could have been in a synagogue because there was nothing about Jesus. That's not gospel preaching. It's not what people need. But then here's the other side of this. If we really believed this, if we accepted this, if this is the good news, again, forgive me for quoting Lloyd-Jones, but I just I found him so helpful in this. He said, this is the gospel. It's a gospel that makes men and women shout. In those other teachings, there's nothing to shout about, and they mince their words. They are polite. 
There's no abandon, no liberty. There's no glory, no promise, no thanksgiving. There is no joy. It is not a gospel. It is antichrist. It is a false gospel, and we must reject it with the whole of our being. The gospel is glad tidings. Oh, but we don't shout. Well, that's, don't we? Seriously? Scotland scored a try against England. You sit there quiet. Well, you think that's good news, unless you're English, of course, so I apologize. <laughs> but you think that's good news. Your sin is taken away. Your guilt is atoned for. Why do you not want to shout that? Go up on top of the law and shout it. Because it's good news. It's incredible news. It's the best news that we could ever have. No abandon, no liberty, no glory, no promise, no thanksgiving, no joy. Where's all our joy gone? I think we've lost the power of the gospel and we've started, like the Galatians, going back to being justified by our works, by what we do. But you know, there's nothing greater than the good news of Jesus Christ and there's nothing better than to be in a place where that good news is proclaimed. If you are not a Christian, come to Jesus. He never returns never turns, rather, anyone away. He never turns anyone away. And if you need to hear more, you need to hear more. You need to keep coming. You need to keep finding out. I love it when someone says, well, I've, I've started coming to church. I want to find out more. And they, they say that sometimes as though it's an apology. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing that that is the case. But I hope that you hear enough of Christ that you say, I, I want to follow him. I give my life to him. And if you are a Christian already, and maybe we as a church, we need to think about this as well. What's our purpose? What's our aim? Our aim is not to have a full building. Our aim is not to feel good about ourselves. Our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a city that's in darkness and doesn't know it. Let's finish by praying. I'm going to pray this prayer that... uh, I've just been reading this all week because I was so amazed when I read it last Sunday, and um, let's just share this together. Let's bow our heads. Sovereign God, your cause, not my own, engages my heart, and I appeal, we appeal to you with greatest freedom to set up your kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. Glorify yourself, and we shall rejoice, for to bring honor to your name is our sole desire. We adore you that you are God and long that others should know it and feel it and rejoice in it. Oh, that all people might love and praise you, that you might have all glory from the intelligent world. Let sinners be brought to you for your dear name. To the eye of reason, everything respecting the conversions of others is as dark as midnight, but you can accomplish great things. The cause is yours, and it is to your glory that people should be saved. Lord, use us as you will. Grant us what you will. But, oh, promote your cause. Let your kingdom come. Let your blessed interest be advanced in this world. Oh, bring great numbers to Jesus. Let us see that glorious day and let us grasp for multitudes of souls. Let us be willing to die to that end. 
And while we live, let us labor for you to the utmost of our strength, spending time profitably in this work, both in health and weakness. It is your cause and kingdom we long for, not our own. O Lord, answer our plea. Amen. Let's finish by singing the song, Go Forth and Tell. O church of God, awake, God's saving news to all the nations take. Proclaim Christ Jesus, Savior, Lord, and King, that all the world His worthy praise may sing. Let's stand and sing this to God's praise, and then please remain standing for the benediction, and tea and coffee will be served afterwards.